All right, well, welcome to another episode of Not Investment Advice. We've got a special guest there today, Packy McCormick. What's happening, my man? How are you? Good to be here. Oh, Look at our fresh background. So Where are you, dude? I had to change my background. We've, I'm all, in, been, uh, we've been, been circling. We've all been circling each other on Twitter. Actually, a Jack and Packy have collabed, right? And technically, yeah. we didn't here too, but this is the first time I've seen him on video. Looks have you guys ever spoken on, on the phone? Packy no. and Jack? Yes, we, so we did a nice chat. Not Packy and Jack, but me yeah. and Trung. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 did, I did a walk chat with Packy. Likes to walk and chat. Ew. <laughs> it is. I. It's such a. So this also. I don't know. So I'm doing something that I'm not allowed to announce legally right now. That's required me to talk to a bunch of rich people, and it's so nice because I feel like there's a lot of people who are like <laughs> in the middle who are who are uh, you know Zoom people, and then once you hit a certain kind of level of wealth then you're just back to being phone calls all the time. So a lot of my life recently has just been phone calls walking around and it's been so nice. You need to talk about how, uh, how, how sneaky that little intro, the qualification was, man, I've just been talking to a lot of rich people. Can't tell you guys what it's about, but uh, it's, uh, it's really, it's really cool. Just want to let you know. All right. And real quick for people who don't, who are new to the podcast, we've also got Jack Butcher here today, founder of Visualized Value and Trunk fan, lead writer at The Hustle. Um, so, regular, 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 regular on CNBC. Wait, where else were you on? <laughs> was it Bloomberg? What, what <laughs> no, you? I got the, got the Bloomberg businessman. Amazing. What's next? What old legacy financial media wants me in there? Just hit me up. <laughs> financial Times, Economist, anybody of our dozens of listeners. If you work at any of these publications, hit us up. <laughs> I'm going to hire Trunk to do my, my threads at some point here really soon. <laughs> I love it. I love it. But uh, yo, so Packy's here. He's got the stage. Uh, Packy, you you said that you're, you're going to drop some fire. Uh, this will actually have already come out now, but the one you're writing on Monday for your newsletter. So Packy's on Thursday. Newsletter. So I don't know when we're dropping exactly. Okay. So this might, okay. this might, this might, uh, this might this break might it. But, so we were having this conversation at a time uh, when we were talking here that Trung is a Starbucks, what is it? Instant coffee guy. Instant coffee guy. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Oh, so I don't know if it's judgment on everyone's faces there. And it comes, in, it comes in the pouches, like the single serve pouches. I just carry in my car because I never know when I need some caffeine. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, so I don't know if this will be in Canada, but I'm writing about a company called Cometeer next week. And I've been drinking their coffee for the past, I don't know, four months now or something. And it's so unbelievably good. So it's these little kind of like aluminum things that kind of look like a K-cup, but they're not. Um, and they have this roasting and flash freezing. Uh, they, have, they actually work with like the best roasters in the country, get these like perfectly roasted beans, and then they brew the coffee and flash freeze it. And so all you have to do is pour water over, but it's like the perfectly kind of roasted and brewed coffee. And they just come in these like, you know, four different packs every two weeks or four weeks. Where's the technology part? I know you're a technology guy. Tell us about the technology part. What I mean, makes this a tech company? They're flash freezing this coffee. <laughs> it's actually, it's the least, uh, it's probably the least like techy company that I've heard about. Say, other than the, this is, the flash like, freezing yeah. technology, but it's like literally I'm doing it because it's, it is just the best. Like I drink three of these things every day and they're like 180 milligrams of caffeine. Like it just gets me going. They're so, so, so good. Do you drink for specifically the caffeine or is it also because it tastes delicious? So I've never been a coffee snob, but like you saying Starbucks, I think triggered me. And like the idea actually with, we can get really in. So I guess it is a tech company, it's just not a software company. So one of the challenges that Starbucks has is that they have 
like there's not enough beans in the world uh, like there's not enough beans on any one kind of coffee bean farm to provide starbucks with all the beans it needs so it has to take in beans from everywhere and so it just kind of like blends a bunch of different types of beans into one thing and to get that consistency kind of like mcdonald's like you're going to give up obviously some quality and uniqueness to get that consistency. And what they do is like kind of burn it a little bit because since the beans are all kind of different to get the same taste everywhere, you need to burn it a little bit and get that, that burning taste. So that's why Starbucks coffee tastes burn. It's not like none of the baristas know how to, how to roast coffee. It's, it's intentional. And apparently their grinding technology is not good. And so there's a bunch of different size grinds which means that you can get like wood cellulose coming out of some and like less coming out of others. <laughs> it's just a messy, messy cup of coffee. Whereas you can get these delicious frozen little pouches delivered to your door, pour hot water over them. And then it is like really like going to Birch Coffee in New York or counterculture in North Carolina, like all these roasters that they work with, it's like having them roast it for you. And did you it's incredible. They, and you learn all this in your like standard, I know you told me before you do like a 72 hour open, like 50 tabs. And like, is this part of like this, what happened? Open 50 tabs and learn everything. There's a little bit of open 50 tabs and learn everything. So I, there's, there's the process kind of works. Like particularly when I'm doing these, these things on the company. So this is a Thursday piece that I'm doing with the company. I'm going to invest in the company, all of that. Uh, so caveat. Um, <laughs> but, but only because like I saw my LTV and I was like, Oh my God. Like, <laughs> instead of you paying me, just let me invest, please. Cause I'm spending so much money on, on this coffee. Right, right. Um, but uh, so, so the conversation kind of like kicks off with, with the founder and the people on the team, they tell me a little bit of their story. And then I go down the rabbit hole. Cause I'm not smart enough by myself to figure out all of these different industries and where to start. So I find somebody who's knows what they're talking about. Oftentimes in, in these cases, it's the founder. And it tells me like where to start looking. And then I go and do a bunch of, research with 50 tabs and all of that how hard yeah, so, do you and now you get to draw sorry i didn't mean to cut you off a lot but no, now no, no, i when he rolls into starbucks now he gets to do like hey how'd you uh how'd you guys do those beans just curious <laughs> I, I just yeah. bring in like a little tape measure and measure the different kind of ground sizes i like yeah, how Packy started there's some uh wood cellulose uh, is that wood cellulose <laughs> i could taste the wood cellulose i like a little burn Paki, I love how you said, uh, I'm not really a coffee snob, but then went through every single part of the, <laughs> of the coffee of the coffee cup to let us know that you know what you're talking about, dude. Um, now I, now now I you're, do. Now I, I you're mean, a like, coffee snob. I have no palate at all. Like a red wine is like maybe a red wine and like I can't really tell the difference between red and white, but I can actually, this is just a smoother, less bitter coffee drinking experience. And maybe I'm becoming a snob. Did you Fair just enough. say you can't tell the difference between a red and white wine? I mean, I can tell the difference between red and white, but like beyond that, it's anybody's TJ's guess. finest, TJ's finest. All right. Well, listen, look, man, thanks for joining us today. You did this incredible um, breakdown of Ethereum, which is what we're going to talk about with you today. Um, but before we get onto that, Jack has just been in crypto land for a week, immersed in it in Miami. So uh, oh, wow. last episode, he was live from Miami, uh, snuck away for a few days. And I just wanted to kick off by asking Jack, how was it, man? Like, we want to get a sense of that because we can get the Ethereum point of view after from Yeah, Packy, let's get excited. Let's just get the blood it was boiling. Some crazy so, clips it was coming good, out man. of it. It was fun. Uh, the uh, different ideologies <laughs> playing out in the parties that I attended, at least. <laughs> so, first night I went to like uh, Bitcoin maximalists, like, you know, the Twitter who's who of Bitcoin, like, um, people whose avatars I've been looking at for the last few years is a lot more sensible and, you know, um, 
What word will I use? It's just a bit more uh, calm, let's say. And then I went to a few of the Ethereum parties after that, and it's they're letting loose, let me tell you that much. It's a different world, mate. Two ideologies manifest in the way they celebrate. So, Bitcoin's uh, that old money already, man. It's that old money. Exactly. Bitcoin's exactly. the boomer coin by this point. Yeah. So we've got Max yeah. Kaiser there hyping yeah. up the crowd, talking yeah. about Elon Musk, saying fuck putting Elon a, putting Musk. Putting a contract yeah. on Musk's head. Jesus Christmas, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was, uh, I didn't go to any of the official event stuff. So I was just all the surrounding um, events alongside, but met a bunch of people that I've been friends with on Twitter for the last 12, 18 months. It's badass, man. Miami is a cool town too. It's uh, what uh, you know, when something like at that, those type of events, like something happens, people start whispering, like, oh, you know, somebody's here or so and so's here. Uh, what was the El Salvador announcement like the big whisper things? Like, oh my god, I heard El Salvador saying this, or like, what was the thing that kind of rippled through when uh, everybody's like, oh man, I just heard this thing happen. So my, uh, my first night was a Bitcoin stuff and then it was Ethereum all the way after that. So no exposure to the El Salvador thing for me okay. personally. And on the last night I was there, um, got invited to uh, this like really small party with a few people who are just involved in... Actually met this, the original CMO of Ethereum. Oh shit! What I didn't yeah. even know that thing. Who is yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. Her name is Amanda. Uh, oh, got it. Uh, I forget her surname, but look her up. Secret. Oh, she's, <laughs> but she this is about... the problem with Ethereum, man. CMO. <laughs> yeah, 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 Who centralized? Satoshi never hired a CMO. Wait, exactly, they have a C-suite? Come on, bro. They have a C-suite. This is ridiculous. Originally, yeah, I believe so. I mean, unless that's a uh, that's just a short way to convey what she was doing at the time. But the yeah. uh, story of the adopt, like, got the first-hand story of the adoption of the Ethereum ecosystem from her, which is pretty compelling. And, you, you know uh, how like uh, these events are never as glamorous as they look on a social. Like you know when people go to Coachella, like oh my god, Coachella's amazing, but you're all sweaty and like you're in the yeah, pits yeah, yeah. and you're dehydrated the whole time. Like was this like a similar thing, or was it actually just like kind of cruising into Miami? It was like a good time. The Bitcoin so, Fire so, Fest. Yeah. So <laughs> the sandwiches. It's, I mean, it wasn't particularly like you know, it's not the most glamorous of things. At least what I attended, it was like you know, buffet and. <laughs> fold out chairs and that kind of vibe <laughs> what's the most glamorous party you've ever been to Ooh, uh, that's a great question. i used to do some agency work for ferrari so i went to a few oh, grand prix shit. like after parties and car launches and stuff like that that's probably Did you ever see lewis there. hamilton like within uh, a 10 to 20 foot radius no that's just the only question we've been a 12 foot radius <laughs> He was 14 to... feet away one time. <laughs> yeah. But, no. <laughs> yeah. Some Cipriani stuff in New York for Ferrari probably is the top end. All right. Fair nice. enough. Amazing. Well, well, let's get into it. Let's get into the meat. Let's get into yeah. the meat of it. So, but I mean, there's two ways we can go right now. Packy, I don't know if we want to get straight into Ethereum or if we wanted to talk about El Salvador a little bit first. Uh, I don't know if you know anything about it because we don't. <laughs> so uh, as the expert who writes emails every week, um, maybe you could give us a summary because I think yeah. it ties in actually with the Ethereum discussion too. 
Yeah, I think I think that as someone who writes a newsletter with a bunch of memes and stuff, I'm perfectly qualified to talk about the <laughs> geopolitical implications and monetary implications <laughs> exactly. of El Salvador's decision to adopt Bitcoin as money. But it, I thought the whole thing was so funny that like it made it made me ask the question of like who who what kind of person would have to adopt Bitcoin? Like, I have friends in South and Central America who were like. Do you know how awful this person is? Oh, like, this right, is, right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, this is not a good thing. This is, like, not even, like, you know, this is, like, a thugocracy going on in there. And, like, people are, like, not able to get uh, off the airplane in El Salvador in some spots because it's too dangerous and, like, all of that. So I, I just thought that whole part was fascinating. Obviously, the Bitcoin. So taking a step back. So what happened was they announced that El Salvador said that Bitcoin, hopefully, and has to get, I think, passed and all of that. But again, the democracy probably fairly easy at that point to, to make that happen, will be official money in El Salvador. And so one that has like just that original kind of before it was digital gold, Bitcoin use case that this thing will be electronic money that's easier to use and less traceable, like all that kind of stuff. Um, but then two, they also are trying to attract kind of Bitcoin holders there by saying like, look, it's money. You, there's no ta- capital gains on money. Like if you have cash in your account, like then the dollar appreciates, you're not paying capital gains on that. So similarly in El Salvador, if this all goes through as planned, there won't be capital gains on your Bitcoin because it's just like you're holding any other money. And so I think it's a bid to attract a lot of people with wealth to to the country, which is a really interesting move and an interesting, like someone had to be kind of first there and then have first mover advantage. And so I bet they do attract some people, you know, that's a lot of capital gains to avoid when people start thinking about, you know, selling their Bitcoin. I wouldn't be surprised to see a lot of people doing that uh, in El Salvador. Yeah, I read that. It was like, if you've got three Bitcoins, you get citizenship straight away or something like that. Or <laughs> you just lock it in, get it in. Um, but so that, that I think that's really fair. Everything you just shared there. A couple of things on the other side from what I've been reading is um, that 70 percent of people in El Salvador don't have bank accounts. And uh, 20% of GDP comes from remittances. So people sending money back from the States, Europe, et cetera, back home. Um, so like you said, like the OG narrative of being able to send money cross borders with like l- low fees, all that sort of stuff is kind of being readopted. But one nuance I'd add, which I don't know that much about this, the guy who's been working on this is a guy called Jack Maulers, if I pronounce his name right, who's the founder of Strike. And um, from what I understand, Jack, you might know more about this than I do, but he's basically been building stuff, which is, I don't know, technically, if it's like a layer two thing, Mm -hmm. but they essentially have um, like free transactions and it's like very quick and all that sort of stuff. So I think it's maybe related to that. So that would be on the other side. And then the other thing I'd mention, the cool part of it for me was the night, um, I think Jack joined this on Twitter there was Pomp and oh, yeah. a bunch of these Bitcoin people with the El Salvador dude and a bunch of heads of state. And then eventually Jack Dorsey and Mark Cuban joined and 25,000 people. Um, and I thought that was pretty cool. Just the fact, regardless yes. of the implications of it and if he's a good dude or not, I don't know anything about him. That was pretty cool to see like live. Uh, that feels like the future of how things should be. So Jack, were you, were you on that call? Like what, what was going on? A little bit, yeah. Um, just just went on there to, it was, it was like one o'clock in the morning or something. So I went on there to get the screenshot, block it away in the archive. 
he's he's yeah, selling just, it right now on Mir as an NFT. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think it's just like a fascinating example of like how media is shifting and Twitter adopting that clubhouse feature is just so nuts like because of the network effect that exists under like right. heads of state have twitter accounts like clubhouse just like to grow to that level of adoption on the network side and have a place where people are already captive it's already dead probably oh, i'm for sure that Packy, we could drop 30 minutes right now on on the clubhouse <laughs> v twitter spaces thing i don't know if we want to go down that route just yet no, oh, and Packy, I, I, drop us your notes i know you're a twitter ball yeah. So, I mean, I, I think like that is just, that shows the power of, of Twitter and the like, kind of the bull case there. And like, I, I think if you're bullish on Twitter, the, the bull case is like, I, I think it has to have the strongest network effect of any social network out there. And, and we're all definitely like bad people to ask this question. Oh, we're, we're drinking, that, like, dude. Drink, we're drinking drink, the cool. Like, <laughs> like, legitimately, I'll ask both, I'll ask all three of you a question. Like how much would somebody have to pay you to never use Twitter again? Oh, dude. I mean, oh, my God. Seven figures at least in perpetuity <laughs> right? annually. Yeah. Right? It's, yeah. Yeah. It would be tough. You're, no, you're right. You're right. I mean, listen, I, I've actually played this game because my wife has like really snapped at me like for not looking after my kid. It's probably happened with you guys, right? I've been on Twitter and a meme's popping and I'm like ignoring my kid and she's like, this is fucking <laughs> Right? <laughs> and I'm going through my head. I'm like, oh, like, could I, how long can I go? Like, I know I can do it, but like, it's going to be painful, right? So I've definitely thought about it. Did she put a price on it? Was she like, no, how she much do I need like, to pay like, you? Was she just like, she was just like, I mean, I'm sure Jack and uh, Packy Maddox, she's just like, this is fucking ridiculous. Like, get off your phone. Like, you know, you, you had that. She's like, this is fucking ridiculous, right? And in my head, I'm just like turning through all the, she's Hang like, on, okay. 19% engagement. <laughs> yeah. <That's dramatic. laughs> oh, no, I, it's uh, to answer Packy, there is a price, but it's definitely high. <laughs> it's so high. And so the reason for that, right, is that like, one, it's addictive. Two, like Jack, you said uh, seven figures in perpetuity. And that's probably because like you're generating just from Twitter somewhere in that yeah, ballpark. Jack, out yeah, of, yeah, 100%. Yeah, right. And so like the 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 thing that, that's been so frustrating, I think to Twitter shareholders is that they create so much value and they mm -hmm. don't capture mm -hmm. any of that value. And like, they've had this kind of like shitty ads model that served you like clips of, old NFL games sponsored by some car company. Like it was just completely like, didn't, didn't make any sense for like the past couple of years, but they've also been spending the past couple of years kind of like rebuilding all of the ad infrastructure. They're shipping products fast now. Like, you know, it sucks for clubhouse that they copied the feature, but Spotify brought bought locker room and is turning it into green room. And everybody will have that uh, kind of audio room feature in their products. Like Figma, I'm sure we'll have it at some point where you can audio collaborate on docs. So like it's become a bit of a feature and Twitter is smart to adopt it because I think it has probably the people who are going to have the most interesting conversations are all on Twitter. I th thought one thing that was interesting is uh, Austin Reef and I do it this Twitter space and we've tried to get Balaji on before and he said, no, I only do Clubhouse. Uh, and then obviously for this one, it's a big enough event where there's just like big enough people who use Twitter and spend all their time on Twitter that like you can't stay away from it that long. Yeah, like, yeah, if, yeah. If, if the president of El Salvador, Pomp, Jack and everybody are like, hey, we're doing a space is join us like. You're going to do it one because you want to talk to those people, but two, because it's always fun to grow your Twitter audience. And like all it takes, you know, when Austin and I host it with a couple thousand people or, you know, a few hundred people in the audience, whatever, you still get a hundred followers. So if you, yeah. if you're on stage with Jack or with somebody else, you're picked up followers that you can like 
interact with and do just like many more interesting things with than you could on Clubhouse. It's kind of a standalone. And how sick is that dopamine drip when you see that follower count go up? Oh, <laughs> I mean, nobody, nobody's has gone up as fast as yours. You've been on fire. Oh, yeah, it's been a good, been a good few weeks, but uh, I just wanted to actually, before uh, Hacky went super deep into Ethereum, I just had some really top level notes on the El Salvador stuff. So I don't know how many of you listen to the Scott Adams podcast. Listen, I, I don't have to talk about his Trump support, but uh, you go through his stuff and he's, he's Mr. Persuasion, right? But dude, the visual, just the one thing I've taken from him is just the power of visuals. But man, like the El Salvadoran president, he has pinned to his profile. I don't know if he still has a pin, but it's like that picture of the volcano with the fucking Bitcoin in it. I'm like, that is such a powerful so image. Good. You know what I mean? It's like, the 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 optics is right forget about what you actually think about it get out of your right brain like being analytical that shit sticks in your fucking brain right a fucking volcano with a giant bitcoin coming out and even like the reference is obviously probably a bit to lord of the rings right and even though that has a negative connotation in, in the book and the movies you know that's where sauron is and all that it's like but about that it's about power right it's about all the stuff that emanates from it and whether or not you whether or not you want to think be analytical about it that just sticks in your brain Wait, and, uh, Trump, could, could we just share real quick? Because a lot of people who haven't been following this don't even know what the volcano thing is. But oh, yeah, just, so, uh, it's, yeah, go on. The, the president basically said, hey, I just talked to like one of our utilities people that operates a, 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 a utilities company based on like volcano uh, steam power. I don't even know what this means, but volcano, like in Iceland, they use like the, uh, the heat from the earth, right? So similarly, El Salvador has volcanoes. I don't know how productive this actually is, but visually the president of El Salvador says, I've, you know, commanded this utilities operator to uh, uh, allocate a certain amount of resources <laughs> to Bitcoin commanded. mining from this <laughs> volcano, right? We, who knows? It might not even mine a, a single coin for all we know. It doesn't matter. It's the optics. But of the it. idea of it is cool, yeah. especially given like the recent stuff with Elon Musk oh, talking yeah. about renewable energy and the, the footprint so he gets of the Bitcoin. Two W's, right? He gets the W of uh, being the first country to uh, uh, do it. And then he gets the visual that how are you going to top a volcano doing that? So I think those it's two smart, are really man. smart. Yeah. And commanding commanding someone to do something, which just, I think, feeds really well into the decentralization <laughs> narrative. So uh, I, I don't mean to be too bearish on this. I think it's very cool that a company is yeah. a country is adopting uh, cryptocurrency. And I think there will be positive things for a lot of well, people. Well, the last, yeah, just to just on Packy's point, the last the last thing I'd add is, you know, what are the actual implications for the United States? So the article written by uh, Avrik Roy from Forbes, he's our policy editor. He's like, there's three things that could happen directly to the United States, right? That the geopolitical implications is. So if El Salvador uh, it makes a Bitcoin legal tender, that is quote unquote foreign currency now. We have no idea how the US will treat this. For all we know, they're going to invade El Salvador next week. But so <laughs> let's say that it's, let's say they do treat it the way it should be treated as a foreign currency now because it's recognized as by another country. So what Paki touched on it is, now it can no, it's no longer property, right? It's foreign currency, so you can use it for transactions without having to pay capital gains tax, uh, which is what you have to do now. If you use Bitcoin to pay for Starbucks, if the price has changed from the time you acquired it and you paid for Starbucks, you got to pay capital gains on that. So uh, because it's treated as property by the IRS, so that's number one. Number two is that uh, the corporate balance sheet side, right? Is the way the counting works is basically Bitcoin. It's a I don't know something about a certain type of intangible asset where if it goes down in price you have to write it down but if the price goes up you don't get the same benefit of unrealized capital gains so from a treasury side it's very dangerous to have that just as from a Fortune 500 kind of standpoint it's too much volatility but if it's a 
if it's a foreign currency, if it's a foreign, considered like a foreign currency, now it can just be like a securities or treasuries, right? You treat it the same way, way more, way less volatile on the balance sheet. And the last thing is the US economy, I mean, the the greenback is obviously the reserve currency of the world. And if all these uh, uh, South American states or wherever you want to call it, El Salvador, Panama, a lot of these other countries that are considered taking it up, if you want to be the world reserve currency and all these countries are using this as their kind of main currency and you don't let them use it, it kind of chips away at that status, right? So those are his three points. I have no idea how valid they were, but I thought they're interesting uh, anyways from a geopolitical front. But that's all yeah. I wanted to say. That and the volcano <laughs> are fucking cool. <laughs> Jack, anything to add on your side, how you feel about it before we move on to the Ethereum breakdown? Leave it there. Leave yeah. it there, Scott. <laughs> Jack's Jack's been up all night doing this dot BTC domain shit, so <laughs> yeah. he's a little tired today. We'll maybe talk about that uh, again. That was from last week. All right, Packy. Um, listen, man, your your title of this post on not boring was called "Own the Internet." Um, it's definitely one of the best pieces I've seen on Ethereum and Ether um that i've seen out there so we wanted to go through some of the high level things we'll also obviously share the link in the show notes below um but where, where do we start with this man because maybe give us a bit of a background on your experience with crypto before you did this piece and and then we can go into why you're quite bullish on it and break that down sure so i guess my my experience with crypto started in 2013 i read that uh, Andreessen Horowitz was, or no, Unisquare Ventures, I'm sorry, was investing in Coinbase. And I was like, oh, let me check this out. I worked in finance at the time. Uh, so I wasn't actually actively able to trade stocks, but they had nothing, like they didn't even know Coinbase existed at the time. So I was like, all right, cool. I'm going to start buying Bitcoin. So I bought 38 Bitcoin back in 2013, Jeez. an average of hundred bucks. And oh, then boy. I quit <laughs> my job in finance uh, and, uh, uh, went to Oktoberfest before I had figured out what my next job was going to be. And I was like, you know what? That was really like, I, I can't believe that I'm, that I'm using this kind of like, or that I'm investing in this fake internet money when I, and also traveling the world when I don't have a job, like stop being an idiot. I'm going to sell these fake internet coins. And so I think I got out oh. an average of like $150 per Bitcoin. Um, so, you know, I think at the peak, that was worth, that was like a $2.4 billion or million dollar mistake. Uh, so it's not Bitcoin pizza bad, but like pretty, pretty rough. Um, so then I kind of ignored it, obviously, for years and became like a bitter crypto guy because I missed the run and all of that. Bought some Ethereum in the run up in 2017, uh, held on to it for a while. Then, you know, in the, in the beginning of of quarantine, I was thinking about starting a company. And then I decided to go all in on the newsletter. And I was like, again, like, this is just kind of dragging these stupid, like these coins. Like, let me just shore up the balance sheet. I'm going to sell these stupid <laughs> Ethereum. Were you with uh, your current wife in 2013 when you did Oktoberfest? Yes. Okay. So was some of this like, Hey, you know, Oh, she didn't care. She's like, Hey, cool. Whatever. It's yeah. Your, your money. Like, you know, she didn't, she didn't necessarily care. It was more just me being like in October fest, it was just waking up hungover and being like, I can't believe I spent what I spent last night. I'm such an idiot. Like I'm just going to sell these stupid Bitcoin. Uh, and, and with Ethereum, it was more just like, you know, we have a kid on the way and I'm writing a free newsletter professionally. Like, I don't, it's not like I'm going to go spend this money right now, but it feels really stupid. To Who's have laughing any of, now? Who's fucking laughing now? <laughs> it worked out and it would have worked out way better had I held on to my Ethereum. 
so that is that is kind of my you know my experience with all of it. I've been interested. I've kind of like broadly followed, but um, you know haven't haven't gotten too deep. And then really over the past you know three or four months, I've started getting more interested. Not in Bitcoin because like the digital gold use case kind of bores me, and I, I'm in the I think the flipping camp at some point here where like if one thing can act as a store of value and have utility and do X, Y, and Z thing, then I think it's just going to, to uh, I think it's, it may surpass Bitcoin as a store of value. We'll, we'll see. Obviously, you know, the El Salvador news changes everything. And, and so probably it's going to be the, the world's reserve currency now. But <laughs> before that, by my, you know, I'm just much more interested in Ethereum. And I think like that's, that's probably a, a, you know, a tech bro thing in general to be more interested in Ethereum. And like, I just particularly love kind of complexity. And, and so the fact that there's so much that you can do with Ethereum and it's just like weird interconnected system that kind of eats itself, uh, just like is, is way more fascinating to me. So yeah. I'd written a few pieces just recently on kind of Web3 and different dApps and a bunch of other stuff and how, you know, Web3 companies could potentially disrupt the big tech companies. And so I've kind of gotten there, but realized that I needed to do just like the, I need to understand the Ethereum bull case myself. And so let me write this as I do like 8,000 word piece or whatever it was on Ethereum. Yeah, amazing, man. And so I, I, I read that you called it the Excel of blockchain. So actually, maybe we should quickly distinguish there's Ethereum, the blockchain and Ether, the cryptocurrency or aka ETH, right? So, but talking about the blockchain itself, which is, which is, people are building all this cool stuff on it, there's DeFi, there's uh, NFTs, all this stuff being built right now. Like you called it the Excel of blockchains. Like what, what does that mean, man? That's a pretty cool phrase. Yeah, so I like I think it's not like a new analogy at all to say that like, you know, a, a blockchain is kind of like a big distributed spreadsheet or something. And that's not the way that I mean it. A couple of months ago, I wrote a piece with a friend of mine called Ben Rollert, who runs a company called Composer, uh, who's the smartest, one of the smartest people I've ever met in, in my life. Uh, and we broke down kind of Excel as this, flexible programming language mm -hmm. that was extensible and that, that, you know, one formula chained into another formula chained into another formula. And so it created these really interesting kind of like network effects and it grew on itself. And they added this new thing called Lambda that lets you write your own function. So now it's a Turing complete programming language as well. And so it's this thing that seems just like a regular old spreadsheet that you can pretty much do anything with. And it's not perfect for every use case. And there are performance issues if you try to do certain types of thing. But essentially, it's this like very broadly accessible programming language. And they're like, if you count it as a programming language, there are more kind of Excel programmers than there are any other programming language in, in the world. And so as I was like, when I, when I get these ideas for these pieces, I think like, what is my angle? So with Ethereum, I'd been reading and doing a ton of research or whatever. And I was like, just sitting there and like, could not figure out what the angle was. And I was like, holy shit, like Ethereum is like very much like Excel in a lot of those things, whereas this touring complete programming language where unlike blockchain, which like its job is to kind of track who has, uh, Bitcoin's blockchain's job is to track who owns what Bitcoin. Ethereum lets you build applications on top of it and use smart contracts. And if you go through an Oracle, it interacts with the real world. So it's, it is this Turing complete programming language, which I think is, is just a, obviously a huge differentiating factor between Ethereum and Bitcoin and why Vitalik and, and team started in the CMO and, and the rest of the C-suite <laughs> over at Ethereum started the thing in the first place, that it's flexible, that there's this idea, just like kind of Excel formulas where, where you know, formulas feed on formulas, feed on formulas. There's this idea of Legos, whether it's, you know, money Legos or media Legos or whatever, uh, where 
kind of one person does one thing and then anyone else can kind of pick it up and just build on top of that thing and even like just steal the thing completely. So if you look at like a Uniswap versus SushiSwap, like mm. at some point they wanted tokens on Uniswap and they weren't getting tokens. And so they're like, fuck it, we're doing SushiSwap. And they just took everything that Uniswap had done. It's all open source. The history is all there. And they just took it and forked it. And then it's a kind of competition to see where people want to go and the people need to vote with their feet. So it's just like, there's all these really, really interesting things. Uh, and so that's kind of, that's kind of where the Excel, that's a long way of kind of making the comparison, but just that it's, it's like this way more flexible thing that kind of chains on itself uh, as more and more people use it and can kind of become this underlying infrastructure. Yeah. Well, look, uh, for people who've been listening to the show for a bit of time, we know, you'd know that we call Trung Fiat Fan because uh, he famously wrote a paper on this stuff in 2013 or something and he knows secretly so much about this stuff and he's been thinking for a little bit of time to I'm to bringing get it in. right now boys we're breaking it he's live it right now hold on let me share my fucking screen are you actually got, wait are you literally doing this yeah wait, i'm gonna knock zero i'm just sitting on it now and i was just waiting for you like, did it Packy did it finally wait i got i got to let you uh do this real quick but yeah trunk tell us walk us through what's going in your head right now while i figure out how to do this there's nothing i just have money in an account that's just been fucking sitting there and i'm gonna buy some some stacks of it i want to buy 30k right now just because it's been sitting there <laughs> do it do it okay. we'll wait hold right, on we go gotta, we trunk, gotta let's do it live this is yeah, a moment oh, can, in time. can you see it jesus yeah <laughs> Are we seeing it? Oh, 30,000 of CAD. That's like what, 12 <laughs> USD. That? That's like 5K US. All right. This is ridiculous. We're doing it. I've been fucking waiting to do it. Here we go. Jesus Christ. Wait, wait. We just straight, <laughs> is it straight in. Wait, is well on. simple, before you do this, is well wait. simple even let you like do oh. anything with the Ethereum? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, 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 it yeah. Well it's simple? not a Robin Hood trick, is it? Hold on. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> wait, before, yeah, guess what oh, you're saying. Oh, oh. It, you should, ooh, this, is a, this is a great question. Right? Because otherwise, like. Cryptocurrencies purchased and held in account are not protected by. Can, that's a great question, dude. That's a great because, question. Yeah, Robin before you buy, because half the fun is is being able to, like, to do stuff with you. Cancel the order. Thank God I did it with you guys. <laughs> oh, get yourself a Uniswap account or, uh, yeah, at least you have Coinbase yeah, up there. Yeah, yet. I love it. Hey, hey, guys, I'm doing 30K. Dude, that's Canadian. That's like $5,000. <laughs> no, I, think, I actually us. do think it's fine, but I, 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 that's just been sitting there since I started doing the podcast with these guys. And I, I, it's been going down enough. I've just been waiting to float it. And I told them we're going to do it online. We Guess what I'm doing next episode? <laughs> I and Tanith. He's buying a crypto punk. That's what's next. He's go, he's going right oh, down actually, the rabbit hole. You're gonna actually pack. You'll laugh because uh, it's obviously called non-investment advice, and uh, and people have been fucking buying board Ace because Jack's been pumping it every single episode, <laughs> and we're getting messages like people are like, "Hey man, got a board Ape. and now Jack's pumping crypto. So you know how uh, Balaji had the. Uh, <laughs> I'm not pumping anything. <laughs> okay. <laughs> He's, He's just pumping. sharing transparently. He's sharing <laughs> what's happening in the Ethereum world. And uh, it's funny because we were jo joking that Jack's uh, portfolio, his his suggestion is uh, if you have 100 mil, where are you going to put it for the next 20 years? 50% board apes, 50% crypto punks. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually talking of which, I don't know if we want to skip ahead to this and come back to, to Packy's stuff, but Jack, you finally bought a, bought, um, a crypto punk, right? Yeah, bought it last week. After Miami, you bought the dip. You bought the dip. Yeah, yeah I just got off the plane. I was like, I gotta get one. Does anyone? Uh, are you worried that they're the boomer 
NFT? The Boomer NFT? Mm, nah, I don't think so. You see the Sotheby's auction just closed. What happened today? 11.75 million for the alien punk. So new. It's the one with the mask, right, Jack? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's nine of them of 10,000 that are the alien style. And this one's got a mask on. So it's just COVID ultra rare. The uh, One of the co-founders of DraftKings bought it, which is. Oh, no. uh, Jack, they, do you want to do you want to flex it. yours real quick? Do you want, can we see it? If you share your screen. I saw it. While, while we're. And, and this kind of ties in what Paki's talking about, all the stuff being built on Ethereum right now. But that's, that's a great... I love the way you did that with the... Uh, How much did you spend on that, Jack? 20.25 Ethereum. Ooh! <laughs> How much is that in dollars? Yo, Someone do this. Yo, Hacky knows how to quickly calculate the numbers in his head. It's 50, like, dope, bro, that's a Porsche right there. 55 grand or something. You bought oh the dip, Oh, my goodness, though. man. So, okay, so, Hacky, I know you tweeted a few weeks ago that, or when you wrote that, you're like, I think I'm going to move a significant portion of my net worth, probably a lot more than 30,000 CAD into Ethereum. So, have you done such a thing? I am in the middle of doing such a thing. So I'm like, one, have auto buys on, two, bought a bunch then, and buying all of the dips. Like, I'll move more and more of it, but it's not going to be 50%. Like, we're probably talking, you know, 15 to 20% for now okay. uh, into, into ETH. Um, and I think, yeah, yeah I, we can get in. We can get in. I guess this is a good jumping off point in the book. Yeah. So I... I asked that question and or said that on Twitter because, you know, when I get too excited about something, I need to like ask the crowd to mm. tell me why I shouldn't be excited about that mm. thing. So I asked people like, I'm going to do this. Like, why shouldn't I do this? I did the same thing with like Stripe when I was like, I can't think of a bear case here. Like, please tell me what the bear case is. Uh, on Ethereum, <clears throat> people think the bear case is it's like not decentralized. There is a pre-mine. There is, which is like, I, I don't even know, but like they, the, the people who started Ethereum got the, the first coins initially. Um, there was obviously, there's a CMO, which is a, not, not a good thing for decentralization. <laughs> like, uh, you know, it, it's not Cardano. And so some people are just like, if it's not Cardano, it's not good. Obviously a lot of people are like, it's not Bitcoin. So it's a shit coin. Like I don't know, Ethereum is still, or Ether is still a shit coin. So there's a bunch of cases. None of them really kind of swayed me in, in any meaningful way. Uh, I think the most interesting bear case is that there's other chains that are coming out that do things really really well that uh that ethereum doesn't yet or won't or you know there's trade-offs that you make in building all of these different chains which again i think is really very much like excel where you know everybody's been saying we're going to build a better excel for decades and they end up picking off kind of an edge use case right. that people use excel for kind of in, in the wrong way and excel just keeps getting stronger and stronger and stronger and like you know, you can download your Airtable into Excel. And like, you, you know, it sits it's, as kind of like the central thing. So the bull case for Ethereum is essentially, there's all these interesting use cases being built on top. And like DeFi is one of them. NFTs are another. DAOs are another. Like, you know, people say, I think like the critique now is that there are a bunch of like people just trading crypto stuff with each other. And so it's this whole fake economy being built. Uh, I think that that will change over time. There's enough smart people coming into the space and like just leaving Web 2 and leaving Fiat and whatever and building on Ethereum. So one, there's like actually this economy being built. Two, it benefits from an economy being built on top because to play with any of this stuff, you need to at least start by buying Ethereum and then kind of, you know, trade it into other things. Uh, so it just creates some demand there. But then, you know, right now, Ethereum is a proof of work blockchain which means that 
to secure the network, you have to prove, you have to solve a bunch of math problems. Uh, and anybody, you know, who gets a computer anywhere in the world can solve those math problems and get some Ethereum. And so that causes inflation and it doesn't necessarily reward holders. It just rewards people who are mining Ethereum at the given time. Um, and, you know, you're paying a lot of the gains. Like it all kind of compresses down to, like some small margin that rewards miners, but otherwise like you're paying for hardware and electricity and all these other things. So like most of the inflation happens and then like the money kind of like leaves the system. Uh, and so it, that that's overall kind of like bad for you know, Ethereum holders. Over the next six months, if everything goes as planned, a couple of things are gonna happen uh, with Ethereum. One is EIP-1559, which changes the way that gas fees happen. Jack and I uh, minted one of my essays and one of his pieces into, into an NFT. And I think all in, before we before we had a bid, we had spent $900 worth of ETH just getting oh, that thing. That's yeah, that so like, I wouldn't have done that alone, but I was like, oh, Jack, Jack can sell NFTs like nobody's business. Like I'm gonna, I think we're probably safe here. And so we ended up clearing it, but like it was $900 in gas fees. So that's absolutely insane. Um, and you know, like that, that, that is one, I think will change is there are scaling solutions, but the way that that works right now, like they're not being burnt. The way that that works after EIP 1559 is that there are two things that the gas fee gets split into. One is a burn. So like a portion of the gas fee is just burnt. Like those Ethereum or those Ether are gone. And so there, there's the deflationary element there. Then you can tip and pay different amounts to move up and down in the chain so that you can, if you're, I don't, I can't in my mind even imagine how MEV works or like minor extractable value. But for some people, it's worth front running all of the other transactions in a block. And so they're willing to pay more to get to the front of that block. And so that's the other piece. That's it's like a fast of, lane, basically, like they're willing to pay just to get up there. Yeah, exactly. So that's one, it, it becomes deflationary. And then two with ETH2, you know, if everything goes smoothly right now, there's a proof of stake chain that's happening kind of simultaneously that's not merged with the main chain. Proof of stake will mean that if you hold a bunch of Ethereum, you can vote and then you're rewarded for voting the right way. And so instead of the rewards going to the miners, the rewards go to people who own ETH already. And so it lets you earn yield for staking ETH. So you have some value from actually holding the ETH itself. So it'll be deflationary value from holding the ETH itself. And then there's sharding and layer two solutions, which make everything faster, which means that there should be more things built on top of Ethereum, which means more demand for the currency, which means, uh, and also means uh, kind of more burning and utilization and all of that. So I heard all this, I didn't hear the word volcano once. What is, <laughs> what, why is that? Why are there no volcanoes involved? <laughs> yeah, so that's one of one of the bear cases too i guess is that proof of stake kind of uh, obliterates the need for volcanoes which is okay. tough and i haven't i haven't figured out how to reconcile that yet but. <laughs> fair enough wait so uh, your article you had, and you mentioned it briefly is you talked about kind of these uh, alternatives you were very negative on cardano you just said no just just it was like it's just a no i mean could, yeah. could you there's some of this that i'm having fun with but but like, I don't know. I, I took screenshots. I, I am sure. Like, I'm not nearly te technical enough to understand the, the 
you know, all the details on Cardano and why it may or may not be better. And I think the people's argument for Cardano is that they got to see, it's a, a member of the original Ethereum team, got to see all the mistakes that Ethereum made, and then got to kind of design something proof of stake with smart contracts from the beginning in the right way. And these people think that, that Ethereum will have a hard time fixing the mistakes that it's made thus far and that Cardano will be like this kind of clean slate. I think I'm doing that justice. I'm probably getting getting it wrong. Two, two things made me made me a little bit bearish on it. One is like the website is just full of like, if you two or somebody yoga had written, yoga. It's, it's a ton of yoga babble that just looks like, you know, you two, a YouTube red campaign or something. Um, and so that's one that always makes me a little bit skeptical that it's like for the change makers and tastemakers or whatever <laughs> bullshit they put on there. Uh, and then two, I think a more relevant point is that you know, if you look at Excel as the comp, so I guess all of this believe like, requires you to believe that Excel is a, an actual good comp for Ethereum, then something that's like kind of going just directly after the King's use case is going to have a much harder time than something uh, that is right. more com- complementary with for it. Example, so I think, flow is the example you used, right? One of the counter examples. Yeah, so Flow is a really interesting example because they're not trying to be Ethereum at all. They're they're making different trade-offs and their trade-offs make it easier for consumers to interact. You can use a credit card to buy Top Shot without ever knowing that that uh, you interacted with crypto. So for the, the listeners, step- Flow is the blockchain that NBA Top Shot is built on top. Exactly. And that other things are built on top of and Dapper Labs, which runs Flow, is has raised a ton of money and is investing a lot of that money in projects that are being built on top of the Flow blockchain, all of which have more of like a consumery type edge to them. Um, and it's faster and smoother and a bunch of things that make it better for a group of people who want to own digital items, but don't care if it's like on the most secure blockchain in the world. Mm. So that's one. Another one that I was bullish about, and Andreessen just led a 300 and something million dollar round into them, but Solana, Solana is another... Yeah really, really interesting one that is super fast and super cheap and wants to be the execution layer for a bunch of transactions. So you go trade, they want to essentially make like information flow as quickly as possible. So it's founded by an ex Qualcomm guy. They have a bunch of like just nerdy, like actual engineers around the world voluntarily working on Solana to make it kind of like just the fastest point to point way to exchange information. Like I think a, a easy, but maybe like a slightly inaccurate analogy would be that there's all the high frequency traders that set up shop like right, you know, in in Jersey where the land is cheap enough, but you're still close to the stock exchange and can get things, can get things in really quickly. Their goal is to like, kind of let anybody have those capabilities anywhere in the world and collect and connect Tokyo to New York, to Sao Paulo, to where, to El Salvador, obviously you have to connect El Salvador connect them really fast so that you can have all these transactions that like give people kind of real time price and other information uh, at, you know, just like at, at light speed. Both of those chains I think will do really, really well for different reasons. I think the interesting thing about Ethereum and what I kind of learned during the piece is like, one, I think they'll do well because they're not trying to bite off the core use case of Ethereum. And so they can be complementary. And then two, if what Ethereum is good at is ultimately being the most secure kind of settlement layer for a lot of this stuff, then the more stuff that just happens on chain that then kind of dumps back onto Ethereum, again, the more bullish it is for Ethereum, which I think is more bullish for ETH. No, hey, 100%. I got a question. Yeah, hit it. Um, the other piece that we should put in the show notes is your great online game that you wrote up. And I think maybe this is still edge case, but correct me if I'm wrong, does your like bull case for Ethereum 
marry with that thesis on like an economic layer on the internet and the future of work and all of those? A hundred percent. I think like, <laughs> yeah, there's, I, I've been writing probably too many buzzwords recently as I've been like think boying more than I, than I normally do, but this stuff is just kind of blowing my, blowing my mind. But yeah, like the idea behind that piece was that, that like kind of everything that we're doing online is starting to feel more like a video game. And that's like work that's spending time on Twitter. That's like, if you look at the actual definition of a video game, it's like essentially, you know, man- manipulating objects on a, on a digital, on, on a screen. Yep. And that's like kind of what we're doing for work anyway. But there's all these like game mechanics that are moving over onto just like the way that we normally interact. So like NFTs are like, in-game purchases or skins or whatever else, but that are cross-platform and that you can like show off on Twitter, that you can show off in different places on the internet. Um, DAOs are this really interesting way for people to kind of like join forces and pop in and pop out. And so there's this like whole layer being kind of built on top of the internet that turns like not one particular game, but like the whole thing into this connected game. And I think Ethereum is, or Ether is the most, the most commonly used currency for that layer of the internet. How, uh, that was a great piece, how, how so people should read that for sure. Yeah, I just wanted to ask, like, uh, how high did that piece rank? I mean, this series you're kind of doing on Web3, like, how did those rank relative to your 40, 50, 60 articles? Yeah, so I think three of the last posts have been, four of the last posts have been, like, top six all time. Oh, so, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, if you were to, if you were to become, you know, like, I know you're, I know you and David Perel are buddies and he's the writing guy. If you were to become the guy, do you think you would go down this thread? If you could only write about one more thing, I mean, potentially. Oh, I don't want to be, I don't want to be a guy. I, like, I, 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 get, <laughs> I don't want to be a coffee guy. guy. I want to be coffee guy. Uh, yeah, I just, I just want to be barista guy. No, I, I, I think like the biggest, I think the good thing and the bad thing about not boring is that I'm not the guy on anything. And so I can like, definitely get called out for being like, you, you kind of hit like the edges of this, but like mm. your, your depth isn't exactly there. Like I'm more like collecting things that I hear on the internet and then trying to like dig in and find out like what, what's actually going on there. Um, I think this is like one of the more fat and it could be a fad. I could be missing this totally and whatever. I don't think so. Um, and it's getting more Lindy every day that, that, you know, this survives every and, day, and more bro. things happen that gets a little bit more Lindy. Um, but I, I do think that this stuff is just so fascinating. So I don't think I want to be like the web three guy. Necessarily. I'm writing about zero knowledge proofs on Monday with Joe Carlson. So like, we're just going further and further and further down, <laughs> down the rabbit hole here. So maybe I will become the guy. That, you well, know, yeah, honestly, thing, if we're but... being honest about Jack is web three guy. Like this dude just finds the, the, the web three waves and just makes money off of them. <laughs> unbelievable. Oh, that that remains to be seen. On a long enough timeline. <laughs> okay. okay, if you're holding, that's true. Pack, do you have any NFTs at all? I have not purchased any NFTs. Did you get some gifted? Uh, I have some like... Purchased, I feel like that was a distinguishing point. <laughs> no, it, it wasn't even intentional actually, but I think in my rainbow wallet, there actually are a couple that people have just sent. sent nothing yeah. nothing like super high value no or pun. anything like that. Like, Yeah, I, I, I'm bullish on nfts as like a as a thing and like certainly as some art pieces and certainly like I, you know i think i was kidding about crypto punks earlier i think those will be continue to be valuable but i think like yeah i don't know i, I i'm rebuilding my eth stores now and so i'm focused on which that. Are, yeah which are leveraged bets on ETH and which are not well Amazing. hold on here i know Go that on. packy doesn't have a ton of time 
left here. So I wanted to ask him uh, some more personal questions about dad life. Cause me, Jack, yeah. we also, uh, Bilal, you can, you can tune off right now if you want, man. Yeah, <laughs> just uh, log chat. off. <laughs> no, I'm joking, bro. All right. So first year of dad life, how's it been, man? Give us the pros, cons. Is it a freaking amazing, like, it, or just a full wave? Just, just unload. It's a, it's a full wave. It's the absolute best. The kid is eight months old, Dev. He's eight months old. He is growing. He's starting to babble now. He's crawling. He's super fast. He's like interacting and like making noises and like all of that kind of stuff is so cool. Sleep obviously like just goes out the window completely. That's like the one thing, but I don't hate that nearly as much as I would have expected that, that I would. Cause like you're getting, you have to wake up and then you get to like go see the kid. So that's also yeah. very cool. I do like, I think seeing all the hype around eight sleep, I would have been like, all in before and now it's just like pure jealous rage and i'm like that's your bottleneck is your mattress like come on like, your the temperature is not here. helping right now <laughs> <laughs> the crying in the background is exactly <laughs> i have a kid to wake up and get like it'd be the best mattress in the world but it's not gonna make a difference for me right now um but all, all to say think eight sleeps awesome etc cetera, etc cetera. um but yeah, I know. It's, it's the absolute, absolute best. I'll tell you what's amazing is because is Jack is the same, right? I think uh, Jack's kid's about three, maybe uh, 12, 14 weeks Just old. Four months now, yeah. yeah. Yeah, four months. I remember both of you guys. Pac, you were writing, you wrote a piece 10 days after your kid was born. I was shocked. I'm like, what, are you, what is going on here? I think it was a long one too. It might've been about uh, Reliance. Reliance. Dude, I was it like, was, because I had it like 99% written. And I was trying because it was a Monday. It was He was born on a Sunday. So I was in the hospital like, trying to finish that piece in the hospital Wait, before he you, was born. While your wife was in labor? Like before she was in labor, we were just kind of like sitting there. I mean, she was in labor, but like we were just kind of waiting and I couldn't get it finished. So I had most of that written. I was kind of cheating there. But well, that's way more. My wife was in labor and I ate $35 worth of McDonald's. Swear to God, it was disgusting. That's gross. <laughs> what a horrible example to set for your kid. Yeah. Uh, Canadian a- dollars though, so probably... Oh, true. That's like one one large (laughs) fraction, maybe. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, dude, that was uh, that was my last question. I just want to get the dad perspective from Packy. Yeah, this was this was really fun. Yeah, Packy, thanks for joining, man. Anything else to leave before you jump off, man? Where can people follow you and sign up for the newsletter and all that good stuff? Yeah. So uh, notboring.co is where you can find the newsletter. Follow me on Twitter at PackyM. I do threads pretty often with things that I find on Reddit and then, you know, a bunch of stuff below that. So, um, <laughs> I think he's trolling. I'm being trolled. I am. Now. I'm fucking with drunk. I, <laughs> I don't do very many threads, but, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, Packy, I'm on Twitter and, uh, that's, that's about it. That's where I live online. Well, hold on. Since we're called non-investment advice, can you give some investment advice? <laughs> Just that last 30 minutes didn't count. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, buy Bitcoin, obviously. All right, all right. Bitcoin fixes everything. Volca- volcano fixes coin. Everything. Volcano coin to the moon, man. <laughs> well, yeah, thanks for joining, Packy. Dude, that was awesome, man. Thanks, Packy. Thank you, man. Thank you, guys. You're welcome back anytime, dude.